0: The CNBC app. Global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected. Stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning. Welcome to the program. This is Sportbox. The headlines this hour. Stocks across Asia jump as dovish commentary from Fed officials boost hopes for a rate cut later this month. Oil prices climb after the U.S. Navy takes down an Iranian drone in the Strait of Hormuz, ratcheting up tensions between Washington and Tehran.
1: Growth in cloud computing helping Microsoft blow past expectations in the fourth quarter, sending shares to a record high in after-hours trade. And Boeing will take nearly $5 billion after-tax charge in the second quarter, Linked to the ongoing grounding of its 737 MAX airplanes.
2: Plus, one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind, we mark the 50th anniversary of the Apollo 11 landing with a look at the new race to reach the moon.
0: So let's focus on this uh, Federal Reserve story. The New York Federal Reserve has walked back comments by its president, John Williams, that stoked expectations of aggressive rate cuts. In a speech, Williams said central bankers need to act quickly when rates are low and economic growth is slowing, saying, quote, it's better to take preventative measures than to wait for disaster to unfold. Market expectations for a 50 basis point rate cut jumped to about 59%. Following the remarks, according to the CME's Fed Watch tool, but they fell back. After the New York Fed clarified the comments, a spokesperson told CNBC the speech drew from research and was, quote, not about potential policy actions at the upcoming FOMC meeting. Separately, Fed Vice Chair Richard Clarida made comments that added fuel to the fire. Speaking on Fox Business News, Clarida argued the case for cutting rates quickly, saying, quote, you don't have to wait until things get so bad to have a dramatic series of rate cuts. So what did that do to the markets, Mr Sedgwick?
1: Morning, Jeffy. It did a lot, actually. And I have to say, why? Why are these people jawboning so much before the absolute most important Federal Reserve meeting in years? I just have that question for you in the market. Why don't they allow people to look at the data, to look at the earnings? Why do they need to Jawbone so aggressively, so inconsiderately of the market's emotions, whatever you might want to put it. But I don't see the point. You've got Jay Powell. And I went up to Jay Powell the other day, genuinely. Uh, He was going for a stroller in the grounds of Chateau Chantilly. And I said, have you got anything to say following your speech in Paris the previous night? So do you want to add Twitter to it? Uh, it No, not a word. Not a word. Because he knows that every single word he says will move markets. Why don't the likes of Clarida and Williams actually understand that and the sensitivity that the market has, especially the Fed Fund futures rate, to their absolute word? Why, if the Federal Reserve governor can be so measured, the chair can be so measured with his words, why can't others? Why do we need all these individuals making all these comments all the time when they are so important for the market at the moment? That's my first comment. The second point is, that was out of the New York Fed. What about the Philly Fed? Did any of you bother looking at the Philly Fed or do we not look at data Anymore. We just look at the comments from these Federal Reserve members as well, because the Philly Fed was absolutely fantastic. That's good news, by the way. When you see a good manufacturing piece of data, that's good news. Just in case the market's forgotten that good news is good news instead of good news being bad news, yeah? Because you want your Kool-Aid. Anyway, that's my point. Here we are on the markets. So Nasdaq was up 0.271%, underperformance came from energy. Do you want to look at the yields? Of course, they were winging around on the back of those expectations for rate cuts that Jeff was talking about. Two-year, 178, you get there, and the 10-year note, 2.0448 as well. Dollar crosses look like this. Eurodollar, 112.60. The pound, a measure of calm on the pound after the carnage we've seen down to a 124 handle as well. I mean, it's great, isn't it? The next prime minister potentially of this country waving round a kipper at his final hustings for the conservative vote, bemoaning European regulations, which means there has to be an air pillow on said kipper. If only he'd looked at his facts. Uh, doesn't that worry you, maybe? The fact that he hadn't seen that the Isle of Man's a sovereign territory and can do what they like with their packaging of kippers? That's another story. And Perhaps our international audience don't care about that one. Dollar yuan, 687 is where it's trading. Dollar yen, 107.57. Asian indices are thus. Hang Seng up. Well, that was good timing. Well done, Gallery. 1.1% high. Never really works like that, does it? No, it doesn't, Adam. Yeah. Uh, yeah, voice in my ear. I think he's real, uh, 1.97% higher for the Nikkei 225. Uh, ASX 200 trading up 0.81%. Let's have a look at the opening calls. I went too early. Uh, up 34. <laughs> 5, it's been a while. 76 points higher for the Zetrodax uh, and the seen up 32 points as well. So whilst people are concentrating uh, on whether measles, jabs or vaccinations give you some form of insurance or whatever analogy that Williams and Clarida were using as well, because it was about illness, wasn't it? The fact of the matter is I asked the question, why? 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 What's the date today? Is it 19th? I lose track. I think it's about the 19th today as well, yeah? We've got a big meeting on the 30th, 31st. Don't they realise how nervous people are? So A, why jaw boning? And B, no one cares about data because the Philly Fed was great.
2: Don't you think that's just extraordinary that people are more nervous despite having the most explicit forward guidance that they have received from a central bank in many years? Typically, uh, the central banks would sort of guide, give you a sense of where they're going, not tell you that you are going to get a rate cut. And the market this time has been primed. The uncertainty is just what the size of the rate cut is, which takes us back to debating how weak are some of the fundamentals. And I know we all have our research reports that we like. And I have one from from Datatrec, Well, why did you say I, the fundamentals are so weak? Well, I was just about to dive into that point. So I was reading a report this morning, because I've been with you on the same page. I don't think fundamentals are that weak. But the one report I was reading was suggesting that recessions in the states start somewhere in by states. And if you look at the Beige Book this time round, uh, there are two particular areas in the states where you are seeing weakness and they are manufacturing heavy parts of the country around Michigan, Ohio and actually you can throw Indiana into the mix. That's where the beige book has been throwing up some weakness. A little bit like uh, previous recessions where you had financial services showing issues last time round. There were particular states then that showed problems uh, and also around property where you saw of course Florida flashing up issues. This time around, the red flags are around those manufacturing hubs in the United States. But, 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 but
1: that's with all due respect to the beige but that is one sampling of Data and I know Jeff wants to come in here, but there's, there's what I I haven't said that the data is good, and I haven't said the data is bad. I'm looking at data by data. That's all one can do, isn't mm. it? And all I'm saying is it's opaque, and so for the market to make such a binary decision, for instance, manufacturing production earlier this week was what was considerably above consensus. Uh, word in edge ways.
0: Uh, the consumer spending number was fine. Uh, the unemployment number is fine. The inflation data is fine, although a little bit weak. So. On the balance of the data, you would argue there is little reason for a headlong rush into cutting rates at this point. The manufacturing sector data has been weak for a very long time, but I think the market is beginning to smell a rat here that that actually isn't telling us that we're heading into a full-blown recession. It may actually just be telling us that the shape of the economy has shifted because actually a lot more things are being done online. And we don't actually need as many finished manufactured goods as we used to need in the past. But anyway, to put that to one side... Back to the communication function of the Fed and what it's actually trying to do here. Is it focused on asset prices? Is it focused on the dollar strength? We know the IMF has flagged this up and actually we did get a little bit of weakness on the dollar index as a result of the Williams comments. Or is it about real concern around the trade deal? And is the Fed trying to get ahead of the curve and telling us actually that there are problems further down the road? that we don't see at this point and I think that's the problem for the market here because when you hear people like Clarida and Williams saying this you begin to say well look the Fed must have better information than I do what are they seeing that they're getting so talkative about at this stage but I don't see it I don't think the market really sees it and when you look at where we are on asset prices at the moment the market is putting its money into the, the you know the risk assets rather than pulling out at this stage
2: what about animal spirits because it feels as though we've been into in this type of echo chamber before and that might have been the the cautiously optimistic phase where everybody was cautiously optimistic so people were sort of leaning towards a positive now everybody is worried about a trade war because everyone is talking about being worried about a trade war and you saw the references in the beige book again go up there's like 37 times apparently the last two reports that trade tariffs were mentioned versus 19 times at the start of the year it does feel we're talking about a trade, you know, trade concerns. You've got every other government official, effectively, talking about a trade issue. I think business is very much talking about a trade issue. Now, consumers are talking about a trade issue. Yeah. So, what happens? Everybody turns a bit cautious. And if that could not infect potentially the spirits across an economy and, down to the consumer level, uh, that's and where just probably. Briefly, pops up. just to
1: tie in with other story, make it a little bit more three D as well. I agree. Look at us. We're talking about interest rates. We're talking about trade wars. We're talking about protectionism. What were the G Seven obsessed about? Digital taxes. Yeah. Libra
0: just, just I mean if you want to go kind of uh, deep conspiracy theory on this one, here it comes. Um, interesting that the ECB is now talking about technically reviewing the inflation target at this point as uh, we get a new head of the ECB coming in. And I think you were focused on I mean I, I was off in Asia at this point but we did get those new numbers on debt from the IIF. And the challenge here is that everybody is saying fiscal needs to pick up and do the work. It can't be monetary policy any longer. But you need to set the conditions for the populace to accept that governments should be allowed to borrow even more money at this point, deepen the debt mortgage the future of our young people just so that we can ease the pain of a boomer generation that's rolling into retirement and is going to slow its spending and if i had to be very cynical about what clarida and williams and the ecb are all doing at this point they are all establishing a communication framework where at some point governments can turn around and say well what does it matter if we just run up a little bit more debt here What we need to continue doing is stimulating economic activity because those boomers' pensions need to be paid into retirement
2: can I just that, argue... Maybe that's just way
0: too cynical. Can I just
2: argue back around the, the type of reform you're talking about? Because the conversation I started out the week uh, in Dubrovnik with the IMF talking about was the cost of more female participation. And, you know, you talk about this because you want a stronger workforce, a younger workforce, a more skilled workforce, to pay for some of those pension and health liabilities of older workers. And the reality is to draw more women into the workforce, it was going to cost roughly on average across countries 07 to 1% of GDP. That's an upfront cost that may not deliver for some time. So you think about a country like Italy. If you said to Italy, we want more female participation in your country or a stronger workforce, well, they'll say, well, OK, 1% of GDP. Where's that going to come from with all of the other challenges? So you need to loosen the fiscal purse strings to allow those structural reforms. But I don't think any of us want that to happen because of the, the impact on bond markets, and the impact on the credit rating of a country. So it is so a, a tight half spot, you? right? You'll so, get
1: the loosening of public purse strings, but you're not going to get the structural reforms. Or and the that, right that, reforms that, that the real. And, and if that's cynical, that's just because we've lived part, through the last 20 years, that's all, and we've seen it. What are oil prices doing,
2: Karen? Well, we have seen some movement in the past 24 hours and uh, they are higher after the U.S. said it took down an Iranian drone in the Strait of Hormuz. President Trump said the Navy vessel took defensive action against the aircraft following multiple calls to stand down. He called the Iranian manoeuvre, quote, provocative and hostile. Tehran's foreign minister said he had no information about losing a drone. Earlier, Iran said it had seized a Panamanian flag tanker in the Gulf, which it said was smuggling fuel. NBC's Courtney Cube has
3: more on this report. The announcement late today from President Trump. The warship USS Boxer took down an Iranian drone in the Strait of Hormuz.
1: The Boxer took defensive action against an Iranian drone, which had closed into a very, very near distance, approximately 1,000 yards and was threatening the safety of the ship and the ship's crew. The drone was immediately destroyed.
3: This one month after Iran shot down a U.S. drone in the same area. And today, Iranian media reports Iran seized a tanker they claim was carrying smuggled oil from small boats. The ship and its crew towed into Iranian waters and detained. In an interview Monday with Lester, Iranian Foreign Minister Javad Zarif said Iran is the biggest power in the Persian Gulf.
0: Nobody can maintain security in those waters without Iran.
3: With tensions high in the region, commercial satellite imagery shows U.S. troops began deploying to Prince Sultan Air Base in Saudi Arabia in June. The first time U.S. troops have been there in more than 15 years. Photos show what appear to be a U.S. military construction unit expanding a runway and building temporary housing. There is another site uh, at the south end of the airbase where there is a lot of ground clearing going on. We think it might be for uh, patriots or other missile defenses. So far, no comment from the Pentagon on the deployment. Courtney Kuby, NBC News.
2: The latest escalation in the region comes as Iran offered more intrusive inspections of its nuclear program in exchange for the lifting of U.S. sanctions. Foreign Minister Mohammad Zarif said Tehran would be open to ratifying a document granting U.N. inspectors greater tools to verify the country's nuclear projects. U.S. officials dismissed the offer, telling Reuters... Any serious gesture must include the end of uranium enrichment.
0: So an update on earnings season. Microsoft sales grow 12% in the latest quarter, in part the cloud helping, so there is a silver lining. We're going to delve into those numbers when we come back.
2: And if you just can't get enough of Squawk Box, be sure to tune in to our very own podcast. Head to cnbc.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts to have a listen and download today's episode. For our listeners out there, stick around for some more.
3: A CNBC signature event.
0: Boeing says it will take a $4.9 billion charge in the second quarter due to the worldwide grounding of its 737 MAX planes. The company says the amount relates to potential concessions to customers for disruptions and delivery delays. The charge is expected to wipe out second quarter profits completely. However, shares in Boeing rose 2% in after hours trade. Morgan Stanley shares closed higher. The bank reported better than expected earnings in the second quarter. The lender said rising stock markets helped the company's wealth and investment management divisions, despite the effects of lower interest rates. The bank's wealth business, one of the largest in the world, posted a record $4.4 billion in revenue that beat estimates uh, put out by analysts by $60 million.
2: Let's take a look at some of the big US tech names uh, back out in front for the NASDAQ in trade yesterday. A couple of big names uh, you could see, uh, Intel and Microsoft uh, very much in focus. Microsoft up with earnings. Uh, Apple, very strong component of the NASDAQ, having the most positive impact. Uh, a couple of brokers talking about the 5G pipeline that you may see more products connected uh, than some people had anticipated. So a little bit more positivity coming back into that stock. But you could see selling across the board, Netflix uh, flashing up down 10% after that a very weak earnings report that we spoke about throughout the show yesterday. Well, let's come back to Microsoft and its numbers as it reported a 12% rise in Q4 sales, its ninth straight quarter of double-digit revenue growth. The better-than-expected results were fueled by its cloud business. Shares rose more than 2% to a record high in after-hours trade. Elizabeth joins us with more. And I want to get into the compare and contrast game because yesterday we spent our early morning session on the show talking about cloud revenue and SAP shares were tanking down 10% at one point. Venture closed down 6%. So, the European equivalent at SAP flashes up warning signs, Microsoft, based on some of its cloud earnings, going the opposite direction.
4: The key story here is that Microsoft is winning this cloud game when it comes to growth, when it comes to bringing in new customers. And we saw it in this report. So ultimately, Microsoft revenues, $33.7 billion. As you mentioned, that was 12% growth, ninth straight quarter of double-digit growth. And Azure growth grew about 64%. Now, that was a little bit of a slowdown, but 64% in Azure, Microsoft's cloud service. Its commercial cloud revenues were $11 billion in the quarter. So that includes Azure. It also includes those Office 365 subscriptions and those commercial LinkedIn products. So again, focus on the enterprise cloud business here. C- CEO Satya Nadella taking a bit of a victory lap on the earnings call last night when it comes to the progress they've made in cloud. Take a listen.
0: Our commercial cloud business is the largest in the world, surpassing 38 billion in revenue for the year with gross margin expanding to 63%. I'm proud of what we have accomplished over the last 12 months and I'm energized by the tremendous opportunity ahead. Every day, we work alongside our customers to help them build their own digital capability, creating new businesses with them, innovating with them and earning their
3: trust.
4: Now, when you look at the overall market for cloud infrastructure. Microsoft is still number two after Amazon's AWS. But the story has been the progress that it's made in taking market share away from that company. Ultimately, Google Cloud's now number three. So you can see that Amazon, or Microsoft really making progress in this. It's that enterprise client. Microsoft's market value now above a trillion dollars and looks like it's only going to get higher in trading today.
0: The the key to this, it seems to me, is that um, even as you provide the cloud infrastructure and platform, you still ultimately have to have software as a service that your customers want. So people risk confiscating these or confusing these two issues of, well, isn't it great that it's all on the cloud now with the reality that you still need to provide a fundamental software service that your customer base wants to buy and is excited about? And is that what differentiates Microsoft from some of the other competitors at this point?
4: There's a combination of that SaaS, software as a service, and infrastructure as a service that they offer all in one. And we know that they have, Everyone is, so many businesses already were on that Microsoft software. So it's easy if they're saying, okay, let's upgrade you to 365 in cloud. It's not as difficult of a transition versus bringing in a new client. They kind of had that built-in advantage there. Plus, it's something they've been thinking about for several years now. You know, and adela came in and said, cloud, cloud, cloud. We're going to shift our focus away from just that hardware, software offering and move it all into the cloud and, and clearly it's a bet that's paying off.
2: Away from that catchy name Azure to something <laughs> else. I want to talk about the personal computing division at the business uh, which houses uh, Xbox gaming consoles, and that's been a, a big one. Uh, the other big uh, part of this business, Bing. I don't think anyone's mentioned Bing for a couple of years on here, but that is part of it, along with Surface laptops. This was not a bad division for them as
4: well. It wasn't. Surface revenues grew 14% last quarter, and these are the laptop products. It's also the They have tablets. Um, I visited the new Microsoft store that just opened in London. They have a new kind of retail flagship store, and a huge focus of that was driving people to these Surface products. It looks a lot like an Apple store. To be honest with you, there was a push to say, we think we can bring in not just the enterprise clients with these service devices, but also we want to bring in your average consumer who's looking for a laptop that might offer things that perhaps Apple might not even offer.
1: You said Microsoft is the winner. Now, in any game where there's a winner, there's a loser. Who's the loser?
4: The loser right now is...
1: Whose shares will be moving in the opposite it, it direction would be because Oracle Microsoft's or IBM
4: moving. would probably be the ones. So where you Microsoft look lower. is
1: actively taking market share off them in the same segments. Yeah,
4: correct. And when you look yeah. at it, this, has been playing out really interestingly yeah. in this this cloud contract with the Pentagon, right? So yesterday, there's this uh, there's this ten billion dollar cloud contract that the pen, that tech companies are vying for in the Pentagon. Trump kind of came out yesterday and said. Maybe we shouldn't give it to Amazon and maybe not even Microsoft, because I'm hearing from some other companies, and he singled out IBM and Oracle, saying maybe we should look at them instead. Ultimately, it looks like it's going to go to one of those two, AWS or Microsoft, and somehow I think that the political nature of Amazon is tied into this a bit with President so Trump. So,
1: for our viewers who are looking at those three companies, and that's a great graphic there Microsoft clearly the outperformer there, but IBM and Oracle have underperformed compared with Microsoft over that 12-month period as well. Is that already in the price? It looks like the market has already anticipated that Microsoft are going to get the lion's share of the growth.
4: They have anticipated that. It's why its valuation is at a trillion dollars versus these other companies. The guidance was very strong going forward, so it's a, it, it might be baked in. But I think that these numbers were generally higher than what had been anticipated, not just for this quarter but in the quarters going ahead.
2: Can I make the point about what sort of loser we're looking at in this category though? Because when we talk about winners and losers, you can have companies gaining, others actually falling, losing market share. But you could be in a category where all are winners, some are just winning a little bit more than others. And I talk about the cloud cycle here. What did you make of where we are in the cloud cycle? Because I feel like with 5G coming, there could be even more of a pivot in terms of business services towards the cloud.
4: The message you get from the companies, it is, it's still just the beginning. The spending on this has been doubling every year and it's only set to continue to double going forward. And a lot of that is the 5G transformation. A lot of that is just that companies are finally saying, I guess we really do have to move to the cloud. This isn't a transitional thing. This is going to look be something for the long term. Here are the benefits. And now we have a range of services that can offer that.
2: Which seems extraordinary when we've been talking about the clouds for so long that people just get into that realisation.
0: Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more
1: market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com.